Hey, I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Mission Matters. My name is Adam Torres, and if you'd like to apply to be a guest on the show, just head on over to missionmatters.com and click on Be Our Guest to Apply. All right, so I have Mark Warren on the line, and he is co-founder of Two Bears Wine. Mark, welcome to the show. How are we doing today? So excited to be here. All right, Mark. So uh, as uh, for our longtime listeners, they know that my favorite episodes are when I get to announce that we have a new member of our community and also a new book author on the line. So uh, first off, I just want to say welcome to the book project. And we're happy to have you part of our community. Oh, thank you very much. And I'm very excited because this is my first run at actually being part of a book. So thank you for having me. Yeah, this is going to be fun. And you have quite a story to tell. We'll talk about your really how you got started in the hospitality um, business, specifically in wine and so a little bit of your journey and, and where you're at now with Two Bears Wine. But before we do all that, we'll get started and start this episode the way that we start them all with our Mission Matters Minute. So Mark, we at Mission Matters, we amplify stories for entrepreneurs, executives and experts. That's our mission. Mark, what mission matters to you? Really, it's being able to bring, you know, my my journey as an entrepreneur to life for others because every journey is different. Uh, I have friends that are serial entrepreneurs and they can tell you dozens of companies each time it's done different. So, you know, the learnings that I've been able to bring forth with my business partner, being able to share that I think is just powerful because, yeah. you know, not too many places in the world where you can do what you can do in the United States and be an entrepreneur. So it's very exciting. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Um, big fan of entrepreneurs in the U.S., which is why I interview them all the time. So <laughs> let's uh, just to get us kicked off here. Um, first off, how how did you get started in hospitality and specifically how did you get interested in wine? You know, I grew up in a family that uh, made homemade wine. I've always been interested in wine. And, you know, to me, wine has always been one of those things that you can share with anybody. I mean, it's been part of love, war, peace. Uh, you can't always get somebody to sit down and have a glass of tequila with you. So, you know, it's always been kind of a passionate thing. And I feel like, you know, what you could bring together in stories with wine. And so as my business partner and I, Tom, we were getting older and, you know, drinking a little less, but also paying attention to what we were drinking, drinking more wine because things like beer and other things just weren't digesting with me. And we mm -hmm. looked at kind of where we were in our lives as we were both getting over 40 and trying to stay somewhat healthy as previous athletes and said, you know, is there a way to incorporate wine into our lifestyles? And does anybody else want to kind of do the same thing that it's kind of that balance, you know, life balance, work balance, health balance, uh, so that it's, you know, it's not all on or all off. How did you come up with maybe this concept of incorporating like, like when I think of lifestyle, I think of, you know, athletes, I see, think of the gym, I think of a lot of different niches, but specifically wine and how to incorporate that. How, how did that idea come about? Yeah, about 12 years ago, I had jumped into CrossFit. Uh, you know, people like to call it a cult or whatever it was be. It was kind of my second stage of it as an athlete. Previously, I was a martial artist for years. And as I got really into it and was doing some, you know, local and regional competitions, I dragged Tom into it. As you started going to some of these competitions, where you go to like a mud run, my wife was doing Ironmans, a lot of times yeah. there'd be parties afterwards. There'd always be beer. Sometimes there'd be spirits. But we looked at it, it was like, why was wine not part of this as well? And if you look at traditional sports, you wouldn't walk into a baseball stadium and see a wine sign. It would always be beer. So, you know, kind of our aha moment was, you know, there's all these fanatical athletes, whether they're runners, yogis, CrossFitters, cyclists that still wanted to have balance and enjoy a cocktail. 
but why wasn't there something that was wine-based that was, you know, a better option? Because a lot of the stuff we were looking into, unfortunately, wasn't great. So that was our, our mindset. If we could bring a, you know, high-quality, great-tasting wine that had some additional benefits to it, you know, would people want that? Because that's what we were looking for. So I like wine, but I'll be the first to tell you, I don't know much about it. I like when I taste something I like, I just like it. Um, making wine approachable um, just for the industry and just for the person that just enjoys it. Like maybe I don't know where the grapes from. Maybe I don't know how to pronounce everything. Okay, whatever. But I like wine. Uh, what does it mean to maybe make wine approachable in today's market? And that's always been the, the challenge is, you know, wine is kind of has this mysticism about it. You know, over 95% of the people who purchase wine do it based on price, uh, recommendation, and if not, a label. And you can walk into some of these retailers that have 8,000 bottles. It can be overwhelming. <laughs> and like you said, a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to feel dumb because I can't pronounce Sauvignon Blanc or especially you get into the European wines and they have a lot more challenging uh, phrases to them. It's, it is still that, that same difficult approach that has been for decades of being uh, – you know, something that people are going to enjoy, but feel confident in their buying. So that was kind of, you know, our secondary thought as far as first, it was high quality, great tasting, but then could we make it approachable and fun? You know, could it be something that you felt confident buying, but you didn't have to feel like, oh, I have to go take a, a master's class in tastings to understand <laughs> what this is. And, you know, Tom would always say, he's like, I'm red light, green light, pour it in a glass. And I'll tell you if I like it or I don't. You know, and we're the same way. We don't speak, the, you know, the wine jargon. We didn't go become sommeliers. You know, mm -hmm. we just knew how to make great tasting wines that fit our palate. And we thought there'd be others out there that liked it as well. Okay. So you had this idea, you knew you wanted to make wine approachable. And then you also knew that there was a market for wine um, within what you were doing in the CrossFit community. And just, just in general, the very active, I would say, athlete community. How did the business part of this like come about? What, what was that turning point or tipping point? Or was it a buildup? Like how, at what point was it like, you know, we should make a business out of this? Yeah. I mean, you know, we weren't quite sure where the direction was going to go. I mean, we started this in 2015. We had a good friend of ours that we knew. Uh, Tom had known him for a long time and I got introduced to him. Uh, he was a winemaker out in California. So we brought the idea to him. We drank a lot of bad wine uh, for months at a time <laughs> trying to, you know, conceptualize what we were trying to do. You know, a big component about California wines, the U.S. government allows 76 different flavor additives. So unfortunately, mm -hmm. much like food, there can be things that are overproduced. So we said, you know, we don't want to use any of that. We just want to make wine, make it as super low sugar as possible, great tasting, but keep all the alcohol. At the end of the day, if you're going to crack open a bottle of wine, cutting the alcohol is going to affect the taste. It's not going to be really good. So that was that challenge. Once we landed on the wine and how good it was, now was how are we going to go to market? So it was mm -hmm. very, very guerrilla marketing. I mean, it was five, six, seven nights a week. Tom and I would go in two different directions, and it was wine <laughs> on our shoulders. We'd pull in yoga studios. We'd go to mud runs. We were in CrossFit gyms. Wow. Almost every Lululemon in the Northeast would say, hey, Sunday nights, we're having 50 people in for a VIP fitting. You guys want to come pour wine? We get approved by the mall. So uh, a lot of unique places that we poured wine. And then we had a in the very beginning, a horrible WordPress website. And we'd have a card swipe and let people try and order from us and get it chipped a week later. Um, but that was, that was the start. 
Man, and the in those early days, mm-hmm. I, and I asked this question because there's a there's a lot of entrepreneurs that I watch at varying stages, but I like to stick in the early stages a little longer because that's the part that people don't normally hear about. They hear about the end, like right, oh, we sold it or we made all this money or this is the greatness that happened. But I like to stay in the early stages. So, how did you determine as you're doing all of these um, these these pourings, right? These tastings. Mm-hmm. How did you determine like the scalability and how the market would like actually like, like graphs the product? Like you knew you had a winner. Yeah. I mean, all of it, I would say that first year of 2015, it was just really absorbing the feedback from the consumers mm-hmm. as we were pouring, um, you know, as technology was evolving as well, you know, we knew we had to make some changes on our website. I mean, that same time, the end of 2015, mm-hmm. Google had came out and said any websites that were not, uh, mobile e-commerce friendly, they were going to drop from search. So it was mm. almost like the dot-com boom where people were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to quickly build new websites. We landed on Shopify. It was We went from like a six-minute checkout to like a 30-second checkout. It was wow. clean. It was easy. So layering that onto the analytics we were learning from social media, because it's all we were doing for advertising was mm. Instagram and Facebook. So we were really, I mean, I was spending... 17, 18 hours a day looking at analytics. I mean, you know, my tech guy was in California. I was in the East Coast. He'd be up, you know, his time is only 10 o'clock. I'd be up to one o'clock in the morning and adjusting audiences. And this was, again, pre uh, changes that Apple forced Facebook to make where you could really track people. Um, so we were able to look at audiences very fast and make adjustments to it. So those learnings, as they started really, you know, when you're small, when you go 5X, 10X, 15X, you know, it's, it's only this much level, but when you can see those multiplications, you're like, all right, we're on track. So probably by the end of 2015, we saw there was really good traction there. So that's when we started investing in the change in the technology, rebuilt the website, gave it a, you know, a little fresher look on the label and things just really started taking off from there. Hmm. I think it's a great story. And just one of those that, uh, you know, there's different routes to build businesses, not saying that one path is, is, you know, any better than another. But I will say that for me, the individuals that kind of get their hands dirty, that they're out there, they're listening to the customer, like you hear stories about, you know, founder of Starbucks, right? Going out there at one point and going into the coffee shops and hearing and hearing like feedback from the customers. And you're thinking, wow, this was after the, the company was already big. And you're thinking like, wow, if he can do it, like, what does that tell all of us other business owners that are maybe at the helm of companies that aren't as big as Starbucks, right? I would say, you know, one of, one of the things we learned is, you know, Tom is a avid reader. I can't tell you the thousands of books he's probably read. He forces mm-hmm. me to do better. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> following, uh, you know, the customer service that was done by Zappos. And they mm-hmm. said that, you know, that's what made that company so valuable was that everybody in that company or you take a, you know, a brand like uh, the Ritz, where everybody mm-hmm. has the ability to fix something on the spot. It's not, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I have a problem here. Let me go find my manager. You know, they're they're empowered right away to take care of the customer and make things right. And Zappos had the best customer service ever. So, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, Starbucks doing that and going in. Well, even till the day of the sale, I did all the customer service. So all this, the phone calls, all the emails, even texts when people found my cell phone came through <laughs> me. So that was, you know, and Tom would laugh at me. He's like, when are you going to give this up? I'm like, when can you find somebody we trust to give it up? Mm. <laughs> so, that connection we had to our customers uh, was valuable because, you know, they knew there was a live person. If there were issues, you know, we took our learnings from running a services company in tech 
into our customer service here, we, we would say, and we would do these national rollouts, there were always going to be mistakes. We're all human, you know, or machines break. It's a matter of, do you have a bump in the road or a catastrophe? So when a customer is trying to get their wine shipped to their house or to someone for a birthday or for a wedding, you know, can you fix it or do you let it miss and they're suddenly a lost customer? So we tried to keep that tight and make sure that we delivered uh, the best customer service possible. And that kept us close to our consumers as the brand grew so we could get their feedback and make sure we were making the right choices for the company. And so now you're on, and as you mentioned, so that that first wine brand is now you've you've exited, and now you're on to the next. So two bears wine. I do want to spend some time on this first. Where'd the name come from? Uh, <laughs> some of that I can't give up yet, but the <laughs> premise behind why is kind of we each have two bears in all of us. I so. knew you were going to hold out on me, by yeah, the way. But it's okay, I'm gonna on the behalf of my yet, audience, but... I'm gonna pry a little. <laughs> Well, look how you dress today. You know, you're in your suit. You're, you know, you're professional. You're ready to go. And as we were talking to Jai, you're like, oh, Jai looks comfortable and he looks ready to go surfing. Well, that's kind of the two bears of us. So you Jai after work. So, you know, we look at it as wine has always been too stuffy. And that approachability or, you know, you want to call it uh, sophistication still scares people. So can we bring fun and our own fun personality that comes out after five o'clock or whatever it is into the wine category. So that's more of the approach this time is staying on top of creating fantastic wines that deliver on taste and over deliver on quality, but then bringing, you know, never mind the approachability, fun. Like mm-hmm. you look at beer companies and spirits companies and now seltzer companies, and then everything they do is about fun and the lifestyle. You don't see that correlation with wine. You know, wine has kind of been drifting behind the entire, you know, alcohol category for decades. Mm -hmm. And as the wine drinker is becoming younger, you know, it used to be the number one wine consumer was boomers. Well, they've kind of aged out. Now it's the Gen Z and millennials. Well, they have a much different approach to life than how things were being advertised or driven for sales for the last couple of decades. So that's really our pivot point is is bringing, you know, fun and lifestyle and excitement into a category for the up and coming new drinkers. Hmm. So I know uh, I, I think about this sometimes and I fantasize about this. I'm thinking, so, okay, I have a media company, you know, we built um, from the ground up uh, mm-hmm. myself and the other co-founder Shirag. And I think about, wow, if I could do it over again, or if I could start over again, what would I do? And I, I kind of play around with that scenario pretty often. And I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have done this or, oh, I would have done this. So a little um, hindsight there. What now that you're, you know, launching your second or another wine brand, are there any lessons that you learned from the first time around where you're like, oh, I think I'll do that one differently this time? Yeah, a few. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, structure is, I'd say, one of the most important things. It's hard when you're, you know, building businesses and you have rapid growth. I mean, we hit a point where we were a complete hockey stick. And at Mm -hmm. one point we were the fastest growing wine brand in the United States for three years running. You know, we did it bootstrapped. I mean, Tom and I didn't take a salary for three and a half years. Hmm. Uh, you know, we raised some friends and family money and stuff like that. But when it came time to outgrow, you know, outpacing growth, or I would say outpacing accounts receivable, <laughs> and we had to raise real money, that's when, you know, having, uh, you know, a mentor and, and some guidance. And, you know, obviously, we, we learned some lessons along that way, because that's when things can hurt, you know, is, is you know, do you give up control? who's, you know, on your board and, and, you know, are you aligned? I mean, it's, you know, partnerships are like a marriage. And if you bring in financial partners that don't have the same line of sight of you, you know, that, Hey, 
we want to hold on for X amount of years. And they're like, no, we want out in 18 months. It can be dangerous and it can affect the business. So I would say that's probably the number one learning is just, you know, making sure that if we're going to take on a partner, uh, that we have the same line of sight. So even if that meant taking a half a step back and allowing mm-hmm. growth to slow down a little so we didn't just jump right in, I would say number one. Uh, number two, inside the alcohol industry, if people don't know that are, are watching, um, alcohol is sold through a three-tier system. So there's a lot of structure inside the alcohol world. Uh, I Even though our customers are people like Whole Foods, Publix, mm-hmm. Kroger, you don't directly sell to them. So by state laws or federal laws, we sell to a state distributor. Many states have, again, layered in another uh, piece to that called the franchise law, which was set in place way back in the day by Henry Ford. You know, you can't call up Ford and buy a vehicle straight from them. You have to buy mm-hmm. it. So they become your middleman. And if they're not doing their job in certain states, you can't even fire them. So mm-hmm. we were building Fitvine. You know, we were growing so fast. We were just taking whatever distributor we could. Some were just small mom and pop shops that, you know, we thanked them for it because they helped us out and got the brand going. Uh, but as we get to a certain level, you know, then you'd call up a Kroger and they'd say, well, give us your distribution. And you're like, oh, we don't work with 20 of these guys. So then it was the challenge of, you know, reducing the number of distributors and finding the blue chip uh, teams that could handle, you know, all the major players. With that came some pain because some of those distributors, we had to buy our way out because of these laws or they didn't want to leave. So created static and sometimes, you know, would cause friction inside the, you know, inside the channel as you're trying to swap distributors. So a lot of learnings there that, um, you know, we can take forth coming forward here now and we've made the right relationship. So as we launch the next brand, we have the the right partners that have the same line of sight with us and incentivize to grow the brand with us. Man, that's exciting. And, uh, and I know as you're going to do this next rollout, um, what can you tell us about the strategy? I know there's a lot you can't tell us, but what can you share about the strategy now? Strategy-wise, uh, the biggest thing, like any brand, I mean, look at the number one consumer product in the world, Apple. I mean, you still see them advertised everywhere. Uh, you yeah. can never back off advertising when it comes to products. The second you slow down, somebody else slides in behind you. Uh, and part of our approach is recognizing who that consumer is. So the advertising that was done to the boomers for the past few decades doesn't work for the up and coming drinker. So that's really a, a major shift is how to go to market to the millennials and the Gen Z's and speak to where they're paying attention. They're doing more podcasts or YouTube and and streaming and stuff like that. So it's a different area of how to gain their attention and deliver your story because you know drinkers today are more honed into their brands or, or I would just say consumers overall whether it's food alcohol clothing they want to know is the brand a good company what do they stand for do they get back to something so really you know it's a twofold of delivering your message as a company but also delivering your message of the ethos of your company hmm. so how that gets done and a lot of times you know today's technology it's so fast whether it's snapchat or tiktok or all these you know platforms, it's hard to convey that message in a, in a short period of time. So, you know, our go-to-market strategy will be a lot digital, but a lot around not the traditional Facebook, Instagram ads that we used to do. 
Hmm. So it's almost like it's, it's, it's matured this time around. It sounds like not only uh, yourselves as business owners, particularly within this niche, but the concepts, the way you're viewed in the industry and otherwise. So, um, I mean, this is all exciting to me because it's uh, to see this next one. And I can't wait to see this on shelves and to drink it and to, uh, and, uh, to be a part of this, really getting it out there to the community. So I- I'm really excited to see this next one. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're very excited. So uh, first off, it's been great having you on the show today. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the book for everybody watching. Uh, we will be bringing Mark back onto the show for a second part and a second interview when the book is actually live. But this is just a little bit of teaser. Uh, Mark, what's some of the ideas that you plan to propose in the upcoming book? Again, not holding you to this because I know we're in editing, we're still in developing, but let's just tease the audience a little bit. What kind of things do you hope to present? I would say definitely more along uh, our journey, you know, as an entrepreneurs and, you know, what we learned. Uh, and, you know, it's not so much always learning of the business. It's more learning of, you know, structure inside your teams. How do those teams then, you know, correlate to the brand? So for us, you know, being a young company and, you know, especially in an industry like wine, 74% of the wine sold in the United States is sold by three companies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're stepping into a, a, you know, a ring with Mike Tyson, you know, and we're five years old. <laughs> so, you know, that's a challenge. So really in building out our team, you know, you have to find people, not only the experience, but that they have to have the same excitement as we did. And I mean, we had an amazing team that we had built out that I would say would run through a wall for the brand. And so wow. learnings that we had in growing our company and trying to recruit people that were, you know, had a sense of ownership of the brand. I would say it was one of, one of the most rewarding pieces. And then how that translated to our consumers. I mean, we would get phone calls, emails, time and time again. I mean, dozens a week of people saying how our brand changed their life. And to me, I, I didn't really, you know, appreciate that at first. And it kind of didn't sink in. But when people say, you know, it's not about drinking wine, it was about balance. And so it's not about we're not promoting, you know, alcohol and over drinking or things like that, but it's more or less, you know, everybody's lives a lot of times get crazy. You know, we all have families or work schedule, whatever it is. And sometimes it's hard to take a pause and be able to appreciate what's going on. So if people say, Hey, I was able to enjoy your wine that I couldn't before because I would get headaches or other issues. And it's Tuesday night, eight o'clock and I have a glass of wine. I can get up at 5 a.m. and hit rewind. Well, that's a positive for me. And if that's impacting me to have, you know, a better lifestyle because I'm not as stressed, that was mm-hmm. so trying to, you know, how that journey evolved and, and watching the brand grow around that was pretty fantastic. So I think, you know, sharing some of that and how we uh, learned along the way, because you can't just sit down and pencil that out and say, this is how we're going to do this. So yeah. a lot of learnings from that that we hope to take into the next brand. I'm going to cut you off there because we're not giving the whole story away. Why? Because we, I do sell books, right? We sell books. We're a publisher. So we're not giving the audience everything today, but don't worry. As I mentioned, everyone, we will be bringing Mark back on the show and we'll, and we'll do a part two to this interview where we will uh, dive into the book when it's actually live. But for today, Mark, if somebody is listening to this and they want to follow the journey of your new brand, Two Bears Wine, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? TwoBearsWine.com will be live within the coming weeks. Uh, right now, the best would probably be following me on LinkedIn. It's just at Mark R. Warren uh, for LinkedIn. That will be the latest updates as the brand is coming to launch. And once the brand is launched, it'll be two, the number two, not TWO. So the number two bears wine. 
And we'll put that uh, the link and all the other good stuff in the show notes. And just for everybody that's listening to this um, uh, for going forward, we're recording this in March now of 2023. So by the time you hear this, I'm sure the website will very likely be live. So definitely go check it out. Uh, and speaking of the audience, if this is your first time with Mission Matters or listening to an episode or engaging with the platform, we're all about bringing on business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives and having them share their mission, the reason behind their mission, really what gets them fired up, what gets them motivated to go out into the marketplace and to, and to do something. If that's the type of content that sounds interesting or fun or exciting to you, hit that subscribe button because we have many more mission-based individuals coming up for you and we don't want you to miss a thing. And Mark, really, it's been a pleasure until the next time we get to work together. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.